Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 39 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen. I'm the director of Seven Positive, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Marco van Hout. Marco van Hout is lead design and research at Media Lab Amsterdam, and currently one of the initiators of the Digital Society School, part of the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. After initiating the widely used design method toolkit, Marco is on a mission to improve the impact of the creative community on the world's biggest challenges. As part of this mission, he was one of the founders of the international programs Design Across Cultures and Global Goals Jam in close collaboration with the United Nations Development Program. Since 2004, Marco has been a known advocate of emotion and experience-driven design. He is co-founder of SUSE Group, serves as board member for the Design and Emotion Society, and sits in the advisory boards of creative agencies DOT and POSMO. He is a design faculty member at IE University in Madrid, and lives in a small Dutch town with his family, where he occasionally picks up abstract painting. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss how Marco believes design can be used to create positive social change, along with some case studies and real examples. We'll get some insights and thoughts from Marco on emotion-driven design. And along the way, Marco is sure to share some inspirational initiatives and tips that could perhaps apply to your own projects. Marco, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks so much, Tom. It's a pleasure. So to kick off, Marco, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you into the world of transformation design? Well, this is going to be a long story because it's actually a long journey that I took uh, from growing up. Um, you know, there were a few things that were really important to me. Well, besides sports and school, obviously. And first of all, I, I, I wanted to please people always. So I was a mm. pleaser and, and I wanted to know how I could do and create things that would make them feel good. Hmm. Um, I was drawing a lot at the time, and uh, my drawings were really meant to be impactful, at least that was my, uh, my thinking. Yeah. Uh, so I tried and tried and never got to the point that myself, uh, you know, I felt successful in it. Hmm. And uh, this remained a frustration for me uh, for a long time. And then second, uh, while growing up still, I had a real obsession with, with being connected to people. Hmm. So I was the only kid on the block who really would pay frequent visits to almost every neighbor around, and uh, they probably got sick of me. <laughs> oh, but they loved you. And, yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, I, I, I it was the mix of this this human interest and trying to impact feelings uh, that would stick with me for a lifetime. Hmm. Since then, I mean, I've been trying to uh, to focus on people, and um, and and it shaped me as a professional and as a person up until now. Let's see, then, then, you know, if I move forward to my academic life, let's say that's uh, 10 years uh, fast forward. Yep. 
I studied uh, communication sciences and I majored in uh, human computer interaction. Mm. Uh, at the time, um, it probably was probably called differently. And uh, once again, all of this was also about uh, human interest and impact. Uh, while studying already, I started two companies. Um, they both focused on, on digital applications and websites for companies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, in that time, it was just uh, pure brochures uh, online. But I learned a lot. And, 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 and as digital design gave me the satisfaction of um, having to really dive into this user satisfaction mm. or usability issues and the direct feedback that I got from those users, you know, was astonishing to me. Yeah. So I could, I could get instant feedback and, and tweak the product to, um, to improve it directly. So that, that was like a big, big leap for me. Yeah. And then in early 2000s, I was focusing on how interactive products could be improved based on the emotional impact of using them. Mm. And so not so much on the usefulness and ease of use and usability, which was the main focus of that time. So in that period, not so many people focused on this area. And I thought, you know, it was necessary for the design field to, to, uh, to start appreciating the human side of product consumption. Mm. So I therefore felt a real passion and drive to, to, to start unraveling how people feel emotions and how they feel with products and how designers, we as designers, could start taking this into account from the earliest stage in the design process. Yeah, it's like most, you know, most importantly, um, you could say that denying that products have emotional impact is actually to deny that they are designed for human beings in the first place. So for me, that was like a big mission. Mm. And um, based on that, I founded Suzu Group then, yep. uh, another company which I co-founded. And that company would uh, purely specialize in helping companies to translate those, um, the targeted impact in, in emotions, in experiences and meaning uh, into interactive services or tangible products. Mm. Yeah, at the time we were really good at getting um, emotional feedback from uh, from users and we started uh, developing tools that could measure those emotions oh. and and get um, yeah experience level feedback through digital platforms hmm. and uh, luckily there are still many companies using these tools and um, yeah of course the the foundational research that was underlying it uh, by um, among others uh, professor peter de smet a well-known figure in the, in this field Yep. of uh, Delft University of Technology uh, because it was so strong uh, I, I still feel that uh, these tools are quite relevant still to today absolutely um, yeah so so you may have used it once I don't know <laughs> uh, through the emotion lab yeah so so yeah after having seen lots and lots of, of, of businesses we worked a lot with fast-moving consumer good companies um, and and those companies actually they they wanted to purely delight or Wow factor was a the wow factor was a big topic at the time. Yeah. They wanted to ooh or ah their users. Yeah. So it made me feel a bit like it was superficial, and and at that time, then I was also ready to move on again, and and get back to the real human interest. Uh, so I wanted to to not only talk about emotions purely, uh, yeah, about with wow, delight, uh, pleasure. Um, yeah, it made me feel that there was more to it. And I also started noticing because we had all these tools that, that um, uh, and, and doing a lot of sessions with designers that real user research was, um, was often neglected. So 
um, especially by the practitioners for whom it would be most beneficial. Mm. And then I thought, you know, where to start best is with education. So I started working with Media Lab Amsterdam, which is um, a part of the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. Yep. And uh, they're multidisciplinary teams made up of students. They, they work with industry and they work on real life projects. And I, I noticed a couple of things there. So I saw that students, they were doing either endless user research yeah, because then you know it, it felt so great for them. It felt it was always uh, interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, you 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 find out uh, things about your ideas constantly. So it feels it feels comfortable to do user research. And then at the end, because they didn't have so much time anymore, they they used to make uh, this messy concept or prototype. And I, I started thinking that um, that this had to change because so it was either that that people would do endless user research. Yeah. Or the other extreme, that they would fall in love with their first idea and, and, and never do any meaningful user research at all. Mm. Uh, so what I did was I initiated changes to this program and, and it would infuse the teams with, with a way to do research, yeah. but also to make stuff at the same time. Hmm. Um, so um, I wanted to, to enable them to translate quick research results into insights and design criteria. Yep. And do this in a more iterative way, you know? Yeah. So that they could make design decisions and they were immediately backed up by user testing and research and that assumptions from just either research or your own assumptions could immediately be tested by quickly prototyping them. Mm. So the outcome was this design method toolkit yep. that you already mentioned uh, in, the, in the introduction. Yep. And uh, an agile form of design thinking to implement and execute the methods. And, and still being used with great success. So, um, so this made me fascinated with creating tools and techniques for designers to, to improve this impact. And, um, and, and this is actually, I mean, you asked about transformation design. This is a bit my latest topic uh, that I'm working on, which is actually a human-centered, you might call it interdisciplinary process um, that, that actually creates desirable and sustainable changes in behavior. And uh, it's focused on individuals, it's focused on systems, on organizations. So it's extremely broad. And often transformation design is used in the, in the context of social innovation. Mm -hmm. And um, I found that interesting uh, because, of course, I was first focusing on emotions, but emotions are very individually focused. So I wanted to, to go beyond that. Yep. And uh, transformation design really integrates the best of design thinking, ethnographic methods, social design, mm. experience and emotion design, and, and behavior design even. So it includes everything that is needed to tackle the world's most complex problems, you might say, and, and um, yeah, to facilitate or guide true transformation is, is something else than, than really create world change, but uh, it makes people want to wish, you know, that they could design the transformation itself. Yeah. And, and that's something that I find really interesting. So when the transformation itself is the final design goal, it suddenly becomes so really exciting again. Mm. And, and, and for me at the moment, that is a very good place to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So long story. I mean, uh, so going from being in HCI usability to transformation design when you really want to create change itself. Mm. It's certainly a really interesting story, Marco, and you've mentioned some some well-known tools, that's for sure. So could you please tell mm -hmm. us a bit, little bit more about the upcoming Global Goals Jam? 
what are its aims yep. and how do you aim to create positive social change through this? Um, so, so, so one of the things that if you talk about transformation design and social change, we at the MIA lab, um, which is again, part of the university, we created this to, to implement this transformation design on a global scale. Mm. And, um, it's because we believe that interdisciplinary teams, you know, can boost their creativity by using, uh, first of all, design methods yep. and structure that. Uh, secondly, we believe very much in the value of sharing and building on each other's knowledge. Mm. And, um, and also, we believe in agile, iterative design, and we believe in tackling these big global issues by taking smaller local steps. Mm. And the Global Goals Jam yeah, is a way to kickstart this global movement that, that wants to uh, d- directly design impact specifically focused on the global goals yep. uh, which were adopted by the United Nations and um, they aim to uh, they have a lot of targets and they aim to solve those before the year 2030 and then the global goals jam is a two-day event I mean of course you can't change the world in two days but with these short design sprints that we that we facilitate on um, at the moment over 30 locations worldwide mm. teams of designers developers um, yeah, from the people from the local community, they work together with this uh, tailored toolkit based on our design method toolkit. Yep. Then they will create interventions um, aimed at these short-term targets in support of the longer-term goals. Mm. So we want to achieve a very much a local focus, a short-term focus during those two days. And that because we have this as a global initiative, we want people to share things and use each other's ideas to actually move towards those goal, uh, the, those end goals better. Yeah, sure. And uh, this year is really exciting because we have um, yeah some some top level curators uh, such as uh, Bruce Mao and uh, Carlo Ratti from uh, MIT Mia Lab. Yep. That um, that are in, in conjunction with the Edit Conference in uh, in Toronto, they're gonna pick out the best concepts. That, um, that have the, the most opportunity to become a sustainable solution for any target of the goals. Uh, yeah, some of those ideas uh, are also going to be further developed with uh, a collaboration we're starting uh, with what is called Global Goals Labs, yep. uh, which is uh, organized um, and funded partly by UN Foundation. Yeah, so so the idea is that, of course, in those two days, just to, to kickstart some ideas and concepts, uh, really are based on design thinking. And then at the end, of course, we want to facilitate and help the second step to, to really create products and services and systems out of this. Mm. It sounds really, really exciting, Marco, and, and I'd love to take part. So why do you think that using a design process is one of the best ways to respond to these global challenges? It's a good question. Yeah, I think good design, you know, is, is done by moving uh, beyond disciplines. Yep. And um, secondly, the design process itself is really great at, at gluing those disciplines together mm. um, and guiding them towards um, one target. Um, and, and then another thing is that design really advocates um, uh, empathic and human-centered approach towards challenges. Yep. And these global challenges we are facing are, are really in great need, uh, at least I think, of a human focus, um, especially when, when global perspectives 
have to make us look um, yeah beyond culture and context. So mm. across borders, really. Yeah. And um, and good designers, um, yeah, as a final thing, um, I think they fall in love with the problem and not so much with the solution. Mm which makes the design process really appealing when it comes to responding to challenges uh, that have to be uh, the most sustainable and the most long-lasting solutions at mm. the end. So um, I think when you really dive deep into the problem, you have a bigger chance of achieving that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. So beyond the Global Goals Jam then, Marco, what mm -hmm. local or global initiatives have you come across that you believe are really successfully tackling wicked problems and creating opportunities uh, that you know provide both social and environmental benefits. Um, well, luckily there are a huge amount of initiatives. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, even if you Google the lists of best social innovations for each year in, the, in for let's say the fast last uh, five years or so, um, you really come across a lot of of, of really great products mm. services systems ideas organizations that are really interesting but of course it remains the question yeah how many of these initiatives are really the game changers after they have um, been implemented for a longer period of time mm. so uh, in my opinion i think the initiatives that thrive best are the ones that are integrated in the context of yep. the real problem so uh, and at the same time they do not suffer from uh, policy changes or cultural changes around that particular problem. Um, and let me think of an example, a really great example I, I like a lot and, and I'm following at the moment yep. is uh, the Ocean Cleanup. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's, heard. it's an initiative by, uh, by a young uh, fellow Dutchman. He's called, his name is uh, Boyan Slat. Yep. And his project, the, the Ocean Cleanup, is um, arguing for a passive way of collecting all the plastic from the ocean. Um, and it uses kind of a funnel technique. Um, yeah, I mean, all the technicalities, I don't know, but um, it's, it's just there in the ocean. And because of the currents, the plastic really sticks to that funnel. Mm. And, it, and it's a very straightforward technique. And, and it's actually genius in its simplicity. And... and um, it's already proven that, uh, that it works really well. Yeah. And what I think is that the good thing about this one, this example, is that it does not interfere with any international or local policies and, 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 and therefore is really broadly accepted and supported. Mm. And uh, this is when an innovation on that scale, really tackling such a large global problem, can eventually become a success. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps one small other example from our own uh, turf, from Media Lab, yep. uh, is uh, uh, Hemelswater. It's uh, uh, trans literally translated, it translates into uh, heavenly water. Okay. And it's a beer made out of rainwater. All oh, right. And um, in Amsterdam, you know, fl flooding issues are increasing as we have uh, old drainage systems and, and, and increasingly heavy uh, showers yep. during some periods. And uh, all that water, you know, the city cannot handle it. So what we can do then is to collect this and before it hits the drain systems and, uh, and then it can be used for other purposes. And in this case, it can be used to brew beer. Fantastic. And what nice is that the beer does a great job in, in creating some kind of movement behind the problem. And, and it's becoming this real Kickstarter for new ideas. So, mm -hmm. of course, the beer doesn't change the world, but, but it, it's kind of a yeah catalyst for 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 change yeah 
uh, and for uh, yeah, inspiring people. Yeah. And uh, currently, it's even a gin tonic now that spun up from this heavenly water, <laughs> and also made out of uh, filtered rainwater. So uh, and we can we can uh, we can uh, enjoy the rain from now on yeah, that's here right. in Holland. <laughs> well, you've certainly got plenty of it over there, that's for sure. And there's a couple of great examples there, Marco. Yeah. So, Marco, in in your work as a consultant and facilitator, then, and from the projects that you've worked on. What are some of the challenges that you typically experience and how do you work around them? Um, let's see, yeah, there's, there are a lot of challenges. Um, perhaps I can highlight one, which is just more of an observation. Yep. Working with large corporates does not necessarily mean that you, you, you create bigger impact. Mm. So this was the first thing that I, I thought when I was younger that yeah, working with an amazing big company is the best thing that can happen to you as yeah. a designer or as a uh, uh, consultant. Mm. And um, it's actually the contrary because working with R&D and innovation departments usually creates some kind of bubble yeah. uh, within such a large corporate where you create concepts and designs yeah, that, that you aim to be shattering the status quo. But then, you know, when things come out, they usually don't. Mm. And, and this is because innovation was, and I, I still I think it's it is often. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's treated as a. Uh, it's not so much treated as a cross-departmental uh, thing. So, I've become a bit more cynical in that way, and and, and uh, wait, I'm waiting for the day, you know, that we can break down all the silos in companies and and can form real teams in companies that are truly multidisciplinary and have mm. people from all departments. Um, and and of course. Speaking to other designers, this usually sounds extremely logical, but um, doing consulting and, and being in this corporate environment, I would say, yeah, trust me, there's still a long way to go. So yeah. that, that's actually still one of the biggest challenges. And I think also for social impact, mm. larger organizations are sometimes really hard. Um, one of the biggest challenges, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting insights there. So what do you believe then, Marco, as the, are the best ways to then measure the social impact of a project? It's a very difficult question. Um, so I think I should relate this to, to, uh, to my work in emotion uh, measurement yep. um, and emotion-driven design. So the question was, can we measure emotional impact uh, specifically for products? Mm. And um, yeah, emotions are quite uh, intangible. And yep. uh, of course, they highly depend on context and the person. And one of the bigger misconceptions usually was that, that emotional impact is not designed mm -hmm. uh, if this, then that way, you know? So yep. it's not if this, then that happens. And there's no one-to-one -one relation between this product and the emotion. And um, um, yeah, that's why I also prefer to talk about, you know, emotion-driven or designing for emotion yep. and not just design of emotions, mm. not really designing the emotions itself. Yeah. So the emotional impact is the aim, but it cannot be compared to designing a button, the functionality of a button, for example, that uh, uh, either uh, uh, it turns off or uh, on or off a device. Yeah. It's not just that. It's with emotion different design. It's highly dependent on someone's personal background, mm. expectations, the context, circumstances in which this button is used. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it will evoke either joy or frustration or any other emotion. 
So if I relate that to social impact, can you measure that? Hmm. Well, probably yes, like with emotions, but, but do most designers know how? Uh, probably not. Hmm. And uh, do they think there is a one-to-one relationship like we think with the products and the emotions between design and impact in a social context? Yes, uh, and, and, and this is, I think, because designers usually don't know about research benchmarks. They don't know about pre- and post-testing so much, yep. data gathering, analysis. So, yeah, the, the, the design field really only just started, well, of course, I mean, you can say 10, 15 years, but that's a short amount of time. Sure. Yeah. If you compare it to the, 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 yeah, the years the, the discipline is alive already, yeah, of course, with the emergence of, um, of, of um, uh, design research, these topics have been explored more, but only within the best design schools, mm. and uh, as such as uh, Delft or uh, um, yeah, any other one. So the thing is that that not only the ability to show impact is a real necessity for designers of social change, but uh, but it's also key for the design field overall. Yeah, we all have to prove that there's impact with anything we do. Yeah, and I think this is where, where the sharing of research, uh, test results, early prototypes is really needed in the design field. So I think there's this lack of, of culture of sharing in, in the field um, that is there in the, in the, in the academic design field mm. where, where we have these conferences and everything. Yep. But there's practically no sharing of intermediate process level results between practitioners. Mm. So I truly believe the design field is in need of, of kind of a behance uh, for design research and, yeah. and getting insights from the process of the project. Yeah. And this way, we, you know, we can quote each other, we can refer to each other's learnings, we can take uh, yeah, social impact measurement also to the next level mm. just by, by using each other's insights. Yeah. That's, that's a call I'm making for, for yeah, like a year or so now. I was going to say, it sounds like a great project for you, Marco. But yeah, <laughs> coming on the back of that, what advice yeah. would you give then to, to budding social innovators who are listening, who have an idea like the one you've just mentioned, but they need yeah. to take that action to get their initiative started? Well, uh, that's quite simple for me to answer because it's uh, joining the Global Gold Jam. <laughs> so you know, uh, thirty locations worldwide. Um, you can sign up and, and and join. It's in the weekend of the fifteenth and um, uh, until the seventeenth of September. Yep. And uh, what the idea there is, of course, we have these challenges that we relate to the global goals. But you're completely free to take a, and bring your uh, your own idea. Mm. Team up with people from other disciplines. Uh, and, and just make sure it's picked up to help you get uh, to the next stage. Mm. So, for example, those Global Goals Labs uh, that we are now also uh, trying to, uh, to kickstart with the UN Foundation. So, yeah, it's, of course, um, easy to say just start, but uh, I think you need other people. And I also think you need other cities and other, yeah, on a global scale, you need people to, to help you out. Yeah, very, very interesting. So to finish off then, Marco, could you please recommend a few great books that you think would inspire the listeners? Let me see. I I, um, I just finished uh, Overcrowded. It's a, it's a book by uh, Roberto Ferganti. Yep. Um, of course, known professor in, in the innovation uh, field. 
And uh, he shows in this new book, he shows this alternative way of looking at innovation, which I really like. Um, so he's um, he's saying that you need to aim to discover not how how things work, but you know why we need things in the first place. Mm. So I think especially for social innovators, this this is a great book. Uh, and then uh, a second one I want to recommend is uh, more of a classic. Yep. It was written by, um, by uh, yeah, one of our keynote speakers in the last uh, Design and Emotion conference, Professor Jonathan Chapman. Uh-huh. Yep. He, uh, he wrote uh, in 2005, Emotionally Durable Design. Yes, I'm well aware of that book. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. So, so and, and, and I love this, the focus on the human aspect of impact and, uh, and the impact we can make as designers. Mm. And, um, as he states in this book, let me... Uh, let me remember is um, that it's uh, very easy to design and make a toaster, for example. Yeah. That last 20 years, it, it, you know, we can do that technically. But what is not so easy is to design and manufacture this toaster that someone will want to keep for 20 years. Mm. So people don't, yeah, we are not programmed to do that. We're not trained to do that as human beings. And uh, of course, in this consumption society, even less and less. Yeah. So um, I find that really interesting. I think it's it's vital to read that book uh, just to to change your mindset. Mm, absolutely. I think uh, social innovation can really learn from that. So how to design and create systems that are dynamic, that are alive, uh, so that can, they can really last a lifetime as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think there are a couple of really really great recommendations there. Marco, thank you so much for sharing your time today and your generous insights. We'll look forward to following how everything goes with the Global Goals Jam and, uh, and following your work into the future. We're looking forward to welcome you to the, to the, the Sydney or the Melbourne uh, Global Goals Jam. Excellent. Okay, thanks, Marco. And um, thanks for this, uh, this interview. It was a great opportunity. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.